Hi, everybody, and welcome to the August 2019 version of the Third Fridays podcast. My name is Christian Cison, and today I'm welcoming again uh, my partner, Declan Gorley. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you say having you back. I guess uh, it's a it's a real uh, contest because everyone versus Greg is a, an <laughs> issue for him. Uh, he loves being on the show, and I also love not having him on the show. So... Um, it's extra special that you're on today. Um, today we're going to talk about criteria. Number one, I'm not Greg Lowe. (laughs) Right, right. You're ahead of the curve. Um, the mental, uh, stress injuries that are a part of our world in New York workers compensation, uh, we're going to talk about today. And actually it's, um, as per a request (laughs) from a fan or, or a listener or a buddy, uh, however you want to call, uh, this person. So uh, fan makes you sound cool. That's true. I should just say fan, uh, you know, like as if I don't know this person and we haven't been to many conferences together. But uh, you know who you are if you're listening or, or watching this. Uh, this is for you. <laughs> so mental in- injuries are kind of like the perfect topic for this podcast, actually. And um, I kind of wish I thought of this on my own because it implements Defend from Day One uh, to a T, like rather perfectly, right? So um, let's talk about first uh, the idea of a mental injury arising from work, right? Like, uh, cause we don't want to, um, demonize or, or really state that there's no possible chance that someone can get stress from work, right? We can get stress from work. Uh, the only problem is that stress is such a, uh, avalanche, uh, coming from all different directions, right? Like we get stress from things outside of work that contributes to our overall condition, right? Would you say that's fair? Definitely. Right. So like, you know, if I still don't know where to put uh, the Tupperware in my house, uh, my wife is stressed and then that makes me stressed. Uh, But that doesn't mean that uh, the eight appeals that my team has to file this month also doesn't give me stress. Right. That was a very specific example. (laughs) Right. It's like I say this because um, I wonder if my wife actually listens to the podcast or, or views it on our website. And I'm going to create this conversation with her in, in a couple of weeks and ask her how stressed that whole situation makes her. And if she reacts more aggressively than she would, then I think that I can know that I can trust that she listens and watches the podcast, right? It's a little test. Bring stress for her. Tests to see if she's tests, to your Test for more stress. You're right, Declan. I have a lot to learn. This two-month-old marriage uh, is, is, uh, is still up and running. <laughs> so anyway, right? Uh, I, like we're saying, we're not going to demonize it, but the, the the idea that stress can come from work is um, very difficult to really accept because of those factors, right? So the standard uh, in most cases is that the person would have to um, feel stress that is greater than that of a similarly situated employee, right? Right. And that goes back to, you know, I mean, that, that almost goes back 20 years. Uh, so what does that mean in layman's terms, you know, similarly situated employee and greater than that uh, experienced? Uh, basically, if it's something that you're in your work environment that everyone else faces and would not be as stressed as you are, and it's a normal thing almost, then it doesn't meet the standard. Um, and I think of oftentimes when you think about these, it's usually employee em- uh, employer decisions, whether someone didn't get promoted, whether someone... But in this day and age, in the, in the age of everyone being offended by everything, I think that these claims are going to become more common. I just... Okay. No, that's a good point. And actually, we'll we'll touch on that uh, going forward. But 
uh, back to the like you know the appeals filed by a team, right? We're in a similarly situated uh, position, right? And you might have even maybe even more appeals to file on your team this this month. Uh, but if I have stress from that, I'm not experiencing a greater stress than you are, right? So like that would be an example where if I filed then I wouldn't meet the standard for causally related and compensable stress or a psychological condition as a result of that direct experience, right? Right. Okay. The idea being you have to have, have, to have a baseline. And if you're just a very stressed out individual, then something very, very minuscule could basically set you off, and that shouldn't be the standard. Right. And we want to make a, an exception or maybe a, a, a different standard not make a difference but talk about a different standard as it relates to first responders and and that's one of the biggest reasons i had you on today because you have a lot of experience with those claims so talk about like what what that means for for first responders so in april 2017 the statute actually the the legislator enacted new law legislation that removed that standard of care so no longer have to prove that your stress was greater than a similarly situated worker and this is most common with, uh, or specifically regarding EMTs, police officers, and firefighters. Um, the defense previously was these stressful situations are supposed to be your job. That's what you were signed up for. Um, but the legislator has removed that. And that's, it's, it's, it was a tough blow for, for employers and carriers because essentially uh, we're now acting under the premise that uh, – even though it was an assumption of the risk when you took this job, right? Like the, it's very hard to be a first responder and not experience stress. And it, it, to me at least, it made sense that if you rose to the level of something greater than that of your similarly situated employee or coworker, then that made sense to be a compensable injury. But just to so, show that stress existed, uh, it, it, it really just doesn't sit well with me, right? Like it, you're, you are signing up for that. Uh, that's a that's why uh, these individuals are so valued in our society because they are taking on that role, um, and I don't want to again uh, take away from the fact that they do experience the stress, but to you know it's it's kind of like taking it on one end and burning it on the other. Any any position or opinion on that? Uh, <laughs> I can see situations where it can be abused, but I also see situations where. Just because you're a police officer and you might have to use your service weapon, you didn't necessarily sign up to shoot people. So I can see how it can go one way or the other. Okay. No, that's fair. Um, but that's basically where we're at right now, right? We want to um, differentiate the the type of employee that we're talking about and the standard that it is to uh, defend against those types of claims. So let's, let's talk about the more general employee, the non-first responder, right? Uh, what I'm thinking is... Um, uh, uh, something, an incident happens, right, uh, that causes a person's psychological distress. And I think that if an employer approaches the situation as if it is legitimate, it can actually help them whether it's legitimate or not, right? So you're actually taking care to find out what caused this, uh, what can we do better, and interviewing the, the employee before he, the employee becomes a claimant, right? And that's what I love to stress with, with DFD1 is like, you know, if you treat the employee like an employee, he may not be a claimant. Right. Right. And these are very fact sensitive. So you want to get as much facts sure. immediately as possible. Sure. So, you know, making the right steps with the employee to ensure that if it is legitimate, this person is going to be taken care of. Uh, so uh, being quick to 
fix and remedy the situation and gain all the facts you need because if it turns out to be not uh, to be illegitimate then essentially those facts are going to help you defend the claim later right you know uh, what what exactly caused the stress uh, what role did the employee play in, in that situation and can this be corroborated by coworkers, supervisors because these are the things that you're going to have to present at trial right like if someone uh, experienced stress as a normal non-first responder then your idea or your goal is to show that other similarly situated coworkers also experience this stress so corroboration and verification of that uh, incident at, from the get-go is not only important, but it's almost mandatory. Right. right. And I do think it helps to show that you immediately move to mitigate whatever that stress was, if it's possible. Uh, right. If you have a workplace bully, for instance, or right. someone using, calling someone names, the second someone tells you about it, you move them away from that person or you reprimand that other person, it shows that this was an, an ongoing thing. Right. But if you just leave them there and you let them be bullied for the next six months to a year, then... <laughs> I think that also does not help your your employee morale, but it also does not help your workers' comp claim either. Sure, sure. So uh, that's really the best way to defeat that type of claim or at least put up a viable defense because we know that uh, even though that there are pre-existing conditions that can lead to overall stress, how likely is it that, one, the person's going to seek treatment for non-work-related stress and two, how likely is it that that's going to be the sole cause of the stress? Because one of the things that the, the, the cases talk about is that you can have a pre-existing condition, but if the claimant can show that there is an exacerbation of that with a specific incident and you don't really defend the nature of that incident, then the claimant could have a compensable exacerbation claim, right? So an IME and a prior record and you know those are the types of things that are more helpful for the physical orthopedic neurological injuries because we can show the comparison of diagnostic testing to each other but would you agree that you can't really defend the claim on on a medical basis even if there is pre-existing it's difficult conditions? I can say that we've had some experience with someone that had a, a claim for um, established for major depression or attempting to establish for major depression arguing that because of the claim currently that they were having suicidal ideation and I hate to say the word thankfully in the situation, but thankfully we were able to get medical records that show that within a month of the work accident, they were already experiencing suicidal ideation. So that right there is a very significant factor to show, Hey, how can you say it's related to this? And this is a consequential, this isn't purely a mental, 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 uh, mental health yeah. claim, but this is a consequential claim for major depression. They're saying that because of my work injury, now I'm having suicidal thoughts and the records show that that was existing prior to our work injury. So how can you say it's truly consequential? Right. I think that's a great point uh, because uh, it, it kind of actually supports the idea that you know there are different ways to combat this problem. I think with the IME and the prior conditions, uh, it's more of a how much stuff can we throw against the wall right. uh, to really show that it, there's just no medical probability that this is causally related, right? Um, you know, I just had a case where we were able to get uh, consequential psych disallowed because there were prior conditions reported to the IME but not to the treating psychologist. And uh, they were so severe, right, that it just made it made him look less credible in providing the PFME, right? Um, 
know, we're talking about like hospitalizations for prior psychological conditions, you know, uh, accusations of criminal conduct by family members that caused, you know, I mean, these are serious things. A little bit of stress there. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit more stressful than what I had initially opened the show with not knowing where to put the Tupperware, right? (laughs) Um, maybe <clears throat> no, may- yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see who's listening to this. I might uh, get a little, uh, a little in trouble for that, but, um, okay. So now we know the standard and now we know how we would try to, uh, push for a disallowance or a denial of the claim. Uh, but let's talk about, uh, either, uh, the situation where a client accepts, uh, causally related stress or you litigate it and it becomes established. So now uh, it's very unlikely that you're going to have just a stressful, uh, a stress claim, but you might. But let's talk about the claim where you have a stress, uh, a, a stress experience, and also orthopedic injuries involved. Right? How do we uh, defend Elwec in the process where you have two competing uh, stresses that don't necessarily go together for a severity ranking? Uh, it can certainly be difficult. It's more important than anything else is getting their medical records to see what was going on. Um, but uh, with respect to both orthopedic and psych, you need to, obviously you're going to need two different IMEs. Um, there's permanency for obviously orthopedic injuries. If it's pretense of back injury, you have the permanent impairment guidelines pertain to the back, but you also have the a classification related to psychiatric conditions. So um, I would say that usually they stack, but our argument is that just because you have a the equivalent of a 50% uh, orthopedic disability and you have a 25% uh, psychiatric disability doesn't necessarily mean you have a 75% total overall loss of wagering capacity. It actually could be more. It could be less. Right. Uh, It's really, there's no, uh, there's no science to how, um, you know, I mean, we kind of deal it with, with orthopedic and neurological, right? There's no science to how, uh, you know, these different, um, uh, different injuries or conditions come together for an overall medical impairment. You have to just get the right IMEs uh, that find uh, permanent disability, and then push for a medical finding before the vocational is attached. So, you know, going into I guess the elementary uh, discussion of of LWAC, right? Uh, it's it's a combination of medical permanency and vocational factors that are associated with the claimant's ability to reach gainful employment, right? So, um, And they should certainly be asking them about their activities of daily living because there's nothing more frustrating than if they don't ask them basic questions. I mean, if someone says, I'm totally disabled, I can't do anything, but then they, you know that they leave their house, they go to social clubs, they go shopping four times a week, they plan family or events, like they're doing all these things. It's like, well, how disabled are you from your psychiatric impairment if you're living this otherwise normal lifestyle? Right. And uh, it's 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 a huge point, right? To to cross examine because once you you can have medical permanency found, cross examining the claimant on vocational factors actually might allow you to dispute medical permanency uh, and bring an overall severity ranking down. Uh, but essentially, from the medical side of it, right? I think you want to, in an ideal situation, make it more clear, right? So if either the physical injuries or the mental injuries have reached MMI with no disability. It's a lot easier to focus and value a claim when one condition has allegedly or arguably resolved, right? So um, I think that's really the best thing I can, I can really offer when these types of competing conditions come into play is that if you can get one of them to resolve with no further causally related disability, again, easier said than done, but if that is your option, you can value the claim as if 
we just have a remaining orthopedic disability. Right, because in, th in theory, I, I, usually these consequential claims is I have a back problem and a back pain and I can't work and therefore I'm depressed. Well, if we've now gotten your back pain a little bit better where you can work, well then in theory, your depression should start to subside. Or if it's I'm depressed because I'm in constant pain, well, if we have you, uh, your, your back pain is starting to get better, well, in theory, your depression starts, starts to subside at that point too because if you're not in pain all the time, then presumably your depression should uh, begin to wean as your physical disabilities begin to get better. Right. So uh, I wanted to discuss some two recent appellate division cases and, and to show how, how uh, you know, this, these theories are being put into play. Test? Uh, no, no, it's not going to be a test. There's not going to be any questions that, that discuss exactly <coughs> how you're doing. Uh, but I think it's going to actually make sense based on what we've talked about, right? So the first one is Kraus versus Wegmans Food Markets. It's a uh, December 2017 case uh, where the board ruled that the claimant had a cause-related accidental psychiatric injury, uh, and the employer appealed because, of course, right? Uh, in this decision, right, it really talked about how there was a prior condition, right? That he, he sought treatment for something before this incident happened. And they really went into the discussion of just because that happened doesn't mean that it can't be exacerbated. Right. right? And So you're saying prior psych treatment. Correct. Okay. Correct. And here is where um, a defend from day one philosophy can actually maybe not necessarily change the overall uh, final determination of the case, but may actually save you some, you know, cons considerable amount of uh, time and expense in having to, you know, not go um, so far with legal, right? I mean, we had, there are multiple witnesses from the employer who testified that the relationship between the claimant and other coworkers became adversarial, right? Claimant's supervisor testified that claimant felt threatened by a coworker within the department all the time and that an employee was barred from the building due to his abuse of the claimant. So yes, we are remedying the situation, but they were also admitting that this is something that's happening, right? Claimant supervisor also testified regarding an incident involving a particular driver who was upset about the status of benefits and claimant feeling very threatened by this particular driver because the claimant is an administrator of the, the employer's no-fault policy, right? So then he, he, is, he is making the determination as to what drivers I was wondering what this job role was that they had so many <laughs> right, right, threats from maybe so many I should have people. given you a little bit more background uh, but that makes sense so you're you're <laughs> you're ruling against your coworkers and their long-term disability or their their policy claims right and then they're going to be upset with you and maybe even threaten you because of that right that, that makes a little bit of sense right and then from the uh, medical portion right uh, you have claimants doctors who are finding that there is is causally related PSE PTSD, right? Uh, he had a fear that he was going to be attacked and beaten and killed by his uh, coworkers, uh, which is, um, you know, more damaging uh, emotionally and, and um, to, to hear really than, than the medical portion of it, but it nonetheless still exists. The problem is that the IME from the employer said that the current disability was not causally related to the harassment. And the symptoms were related to his prior condition. But he agreed that claimant's stressful interactions may have made his illness worse. Right? So here we have a situation where um, they may have done a great job of defending from day one in eliciting, finding out this testimony. Uh, and they got the IME that talked about prior 